Just a heads up, this episode was recorded in March of 2021, and there are a couple things that might be a little dated. I think, like all great conversations, there are a lot of great things that we talked about that are still relevant today for us to be talking about and learning about. So please enjoy the episode. Feels so good being on the wall. It's like you're, it's like you're stre- like there are certain moves where like, you know, I was on slab climb and both my toes were pointed like the opposite directions and stuff, which like, I guess is bad technique, but whatever. Check it out. I'm Alexa Forster. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I'm a trans woman based out of Dallas, Texas, and I've been climbing since the beginning of 2019, and I absolutely love it. I am so excited to be partnering with Mario on the Sins and Suffers podcast to be doing this LGBTQ takeover series uh, where I get to talk to some amazing climbers who were also part of the uh, queer community. So... Thank you again, Mario, for allowing me uh, to talk to all of these uh, just beautiful and amazing queer climbers. Uh, I never would have had this opportunity, and I am just so excited. Samuel Crosley is a filmmaker, photographer, and a climber. He's uh, a contributor to National Geographic Adventure. He's worked on multiple climbing films and documentaries, including Free Solo. And that's actually how I first uh, heard about uh, Sam I remember after seeing uh, Free Solo in the theaters and going home and I do what I always do. I go straight to IMDb and I start to look up all the other crew members. And then I started to try to to find them on Instagram. And as soon as I found uh, Sam's page on Instagram, I remember just being like so excited because I saw that he is also a part of the LGBTQ community. And that just made me... uh, feel really hopeful and excited to see that there's other creatives uh that are queer that are taking a part in this uh creative uh climbing world for creating medium for creating photography and creating films just made me so excited um and to one day you know get to talk to them about you know what their process is like and that's what i finally got to do so please uh be sure to go follow subscribe like everything that you do on social media to get more of the amazing Sins and Suffers content. And now, a quick trigger warning, things are about to get really gay. So if you're homophobic, feel free to stop listening. Or I ask you to maybe open your mind and just listen, and maybe you'll learn something and have a new perspective on things. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Check it out. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Alexa Forster, I use she or her pronouns, and I am the uh, your temporary host for Sins and Suffers for the LGBTQ Takeover episodes. Uh, and I am so, so grateful to be joined by Samuel Crosley, filmmaker and photographer. How are you doing Hi, today, Sam? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Um, I use he, him pronouns. Awesome. 
Uh, yeah, so let's just go right into it. Uh, so, yeah, I've been a fan of yours since Resolo, but we'll come back around to that later. Um, so, yeah, let's just start from the beginning uh, of your climbing history. What got you started in climbing? What got me started on climbing? Um, well, I wanted to stay fit. <laughs> I had just gotten into college and I played team sports all my life. And so I was looking for a way to kind of continue that a little bit in the, into my adulthood. And so I tried weightlifting and running and, and those were just so boring. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't motivate to do them. Um, and luckily, like while doing the search, I, I decided I'd try climbing at a climbing gym because there were a bunch of climbing gyms in San Francisco. And I tried it. And I think a lot of people share this experience when they climb the first time where it's just so much fun and it's so much hard work, but you feel kind of trapped and not trapped, but you feel in the moment. Um, and when I got to the top of the wall, the first time I was out of breath and, um, I had used my body and I was kind of tired and exhausted, um, cause I had no technique, <laughs> but it was so fun. And, um, and so I, you know, I kept on coming back and I tried a different, uh, climbing gym every time. And the day passes were so expensive that after I had tried, you know, the, the three gyms, I decided to get a membership. Um, and so that kind of is when I got hooked in the freshman year of college. That's really cool. It's it's yeah. It's interesting. You said like a lot of people have kind of a similar story, and mine was yeah, a very similar thing. It was like, it was like actually first started climbing. Mine was uh, January first of twenty nineteen. Oh, pretty recently. So I was like then. at a friend's house. Yeah, pretty recently. So like just a little over two years now. And I was over at my friend's place, um, and she was like, "Hey, like, because I just stayed over after New Year's." And she's like, "Hey, do you want to go rock climbing?" And I was like, "You know what? It's a new year. I should try something new," and very similar thing. Like I got on the wall and got to the top and just felt this like amazing sense of accomplishment after climbing this route, which I had never thought, like if you, if I'd asked myself like five years ago, do you see yourself rock climbing ever in the future? I would have said, hell no, that sounds like the craziest thing in the world. Why would I put myself on top of a wall? Um, this doesn't make any sense, but no, I just felt so accomplished and really proud of myself um for sending that v0 and just getting to the top um and yeah i was instantly hooked and wanted to you know push myself harder to see if i could get the you know the next like you know v1 route yeah i love how it's i love how that's um, structured you know like a v0 v1 v2 like the first mm -hmm. time you get to a gym you're like oh i want to get better like instantly and you know exactly yeah, how it's so instantly easy. and then you see someone do a v6 yeah. you're like i'm never gonna do that in my lifetime and then eventually maybe you do. Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But like, there's something else you said about like, you were actually like, like present or like a medi meditative feel. Cause I feel like, yeah, like that's like one of the things I felt too, was just like instantly present in that moment. Yeah. It was so, so interesting. Cause I never felt it. Like, I guess like maybe I felt it a little bit sometimes with running, but most of the time that was just like, you know, you're kind of zoned out. But with climbing, it's like you're like zoned mm -hmm. in and so focused on every single moment, every single move that you can't really think about anything. Yeah, else. exactly. Yeah. It's like the it's the flow state, essentially what you're talking about. And I, I, I've experienced the flow state before, but it wasn't 
in the way that climbing offered it because it's climbing is very slow and methodical and technique based and so you're really focused on doing everything super well whereas in the past like you know when i was young i did competitive swimming because that was just the thing to do where i grew up and i just remember when i got to high school freshman year i was on the swim team and i just i just gave it up because i was so tired of swimming laps because i my mind would just go elsewhere and i'd think of all the things i'd want to be doing instead of swimming back and forth in a pool and so i realized it wasn't for me so i quit um, and I guess it really wasn't until I found climbing about four years later in college that um, I found that flow state again, but it was different in that I wasn't, you know, using my body and then my mind was elsewhere. Everything was working at the same time. And I really, really liked that. And I love the problem solving aspect of climbing where mm -hmm. it's like you look at something and even if you think you can't do it, if you just try, you can kind of sort of like um, start to unlock it. And that's something that I really liked as well. It's just like going and trying something that I didn't know I could do, um, but I just wanted to try it. And then the feeling yeah. of doing it is amazing. You feel so accomplished, even though you, all you did was move like 10, 10 feet up if you're bouldering, you know, but it's so, mm -hmm. it's so good. Yeah. 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 So I guess that's a good question. Which, what kind of climber are you? Do you prefer a uh, top rope or uh lead or bouldering? What's one, which one's yeah, your definitely, favorite? Definitely. Um, I mean, the disciplines of climbing each have their own appeal to me. Um, I really like bouldering, uh, for two reasons. There's kind of two types of bouldering for me. There's the bouldering at the gym alone and kind of just like, like in, in college, I would just escape to the gym for like an hour and a half and I'd, I'd get my fix of the workout, you know? But then there's also the flip side of like when I'm in Yosemite and we go bouldering, like there's usually like four or five people and it's this really fun social environment where everyone's talking and having a good time. It's totally different than being like on the side of El Cap where you're with like one or two other people. Um, and so I really like the social aspects of bouldering, but then also just like the discipline of honing in and trying to practice your climbing. I don't, I, I don't you know, I don't call myself a boulderer. Um, I think of it as kind of like a like a discipline that I'm not into, um, but I have a lot of respect for people that are into it. I definitely more consider myself a rope climber. Um, and I've done a lot of track climbing. I've done a lot of sport climbing leading. But um, I think nowadays um, I'm most interested actually in top roping. Uh, the last year I haven't really climbed all that much um, just because of COVID and it's been complicated. And now I'm in, I live in Boulder now um, and the winters are really cold here with a lot of snow and i skied a lot mm -hmm. when i was younger and so past year i've kind of been focused on skiing um, and when COVID hit climbing kind of people were like not okay climbing and i was in that boat where i didn't feel comfortable going out to a crag and because there's not a lot known about COVID at the time um, in terms of like how it spread and so essentially nobody was climbing for a month and i joined that um, and so i started mountain biking so the past year I got really into mountain biking and then road biking and skiing. And just now I'm feeling comfortable with like everyone getting vaccinated. And um, like about a week ago, I went into the gym for the first time in, a, in almost like a year. Because when we, when COVID oh, started, wow. we came back from a climbing trip. And so I was like, mm -hmm. well, I just came back from a climbing trip. I'm okay kind of taking a month off. And then I kind of went from there. And so right now I'm like, <laughs> I'm not strong. I have no idea what my mental game is like. Um, you know, I've, I've shot photos during COVID where I've, I've wrapped in um, and like, I'm totally fine with the fear of heights and like the rope management, that's all good. But I am a little bit slow, I've noticed. 
and like transitioning and stuff um, from anchors and stuff. I'm just like, because it, it is something that you just have to keep practicing. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm fine going slow because it's such a, a delicate technical <laughs> risk analysis where, where, of course, if you mess up, you can get severely hurt. So I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm like really excited to get back into climbing. Um, and I think I'm most interested in top roping right now and then seeing how that progresses and once I feel like I can actually do interesting things on top ropes, then I'll start leading again um, and taking it from there. But yeah, my boyfriend uh, climbs a little bit more right now than I do. Um, and so I'm looking forward to him being a rope gun <laughs> and me, me just like yes. enjoying the pure movement of climbing and getting back into it. Yeah. Yes. Got to keep that relationship Definitely. strong. <laughs> yeah. Our relationship started at a climbing festival. So it's like, it kind of anchors us, which is lovely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's really cool though. Yeah, I definitely feel myself more as a, as a rope climber as, as well. Um, and it's, yeah, just like you said, like you, any amount of time that you take off, anytime like you go past like, oh, I have to say anytime you go past like a week um, from getting on the wall, you're like going to lose a little bit of the progress that you yeah. made. So yeah, it's interesting. Like I, um, it's, I'm glad that you brought up COVID, um, because that wasn't even on my list to talk about like coming back after COVID and being gone for so long. Uh, and so I'm in Texas and they shut everything down, you know, in March of last year. And then, um, they, uh, everything started to open back up in Texas. Like last May, they were able to open gyms back up. And I went, you know, like from March until May of like no climbing and, for me, I got into climbing, um, and it was one of the most, I would say, important activities that I had, like, outside of, like, going to a therapist. Like, really, for me, climbing has enabled me to, like you said, meditate on the wall, and it allows me to go climb and just escape for a short amount of time to clear my head from any emotions or whatever's going on in my life and focus on just this one thing and relax myself and be able to come back to those feelings or those emotions or those issues that I'm having in my life at the time. And so that was for me, um, like one year into my transition or whatever, like being able to like have this, you know, experience to, to turn to was so beneficial for me. And so whenever like COVID hit, it was just like, devastating for me that I lost this activity that was so important to me so when I had the you know the ability to go back to the gym in May I was just like you know they're enforcing a very strict you know like um policy of you know the amount of people that can be in the gym was like at 25 percent when it started so it was very few people I felt safer there you know having to wear a mask and like washing my hands the whole time between climbs um so yeah I jumped at the opportunity <laughs> to get back in the gym because sadly the gym is all I've known so far. Um, but I'm excited to uh, get to climb outside uh, next month. I'm going to Horseshoe Canyon, I believe is the <laughs> yeah. name, um, in Arkansas. So I'm excited to uh, finally get out there. And I found the same thing whenever I like, say for example, I just I got LEED certified this last summer in the gym. Um, and then I don't go like a week or say I go a month without LEED climbing and I start LEED climbing again. It's like starting all over. Like, I'm so terrified to go, you know, higher and higher and start clipping. And I look down and I'm just like, oh, my goodness, just like all this like rush of anxiety kind of like over 
you know, overcomes you and it's just, yeah, kind of terrifying. But yeah, I guess that kind of leads into my question of like, why, so what, what, you know, brings you back to climbing? Why do you climb? That's a, that's a great question. Why do I climb? Um, I mean, I kind of talked about how I got into it and right now I'm kind of feeling that same, um, draw where like skiing is very quad and calf intensive. Um, and it's just not, and so is biking. And so my upper body just does not feel very fit. Um, and I, I really miss the feeling of like, like, okay. So my home gym, um, is, or I was Diablo rock gym in the Bay area. And it's like one of the touchstone gyms, but it's not very well known or, or like heavy, heavily populated. And it's got this really cool prow that's overhanging. And I, I loved bouldering and then doing the prow lead climbing. Um, but the problem is, as you mentioned, if you go two weeks without, you know, climbing all of a sudden the, like I would go back after, you know, working on a filming trip, um, and I would come back and my arms would be jello, you know? And so what I lead climb on the prow and my arms are jello, it's intense and it's frightening. And I go to clip and I realize I'm about to fall and I'm like, this is not fun. This is scary. And it's a type of scary that I'm just like, yeah, I can work to overcome it, but I could also just like take a step back and go slower. And so right now I'm at the point where like the last time I was at a gym, I, all I did was climb up to V3 because I was afraid of, of um, tendon injuries or finger injuries or, you know, skin, just like all these things. I'm like kind of like really just inching my way back into climbing because one, I miss it for all the reasons of just the health benefits, the social side. Like I haven't, like there's a lot of friends that I haven't seen um, because climbing provides this social experience and you know the same people kind of go to this the same destinations each year kind of like a seasonal cycle of seeing people in las vegas and red rocks or yosemite um and so i i miss kind of i just miss my friends and that's paired with climbing i miss the miss the way my body feels when i climb but also i th- i kind of resonate with what you were talking about where it's an escape and it's something that helps self-esteem um, it also is something that I want to get better at because it's my profession in a way. I'm not a professional climber, but it helps to be able to climb, you know, 511, 512 when you're shooting people that are doing 514. So, you know, you have like a little <laughs> bit of understanding of what they're doing. Um, and yeah, so I just want to get that, um, that side of my life kind of back, um, into a cycle cause it's not there right now. And, you know, I've tried other sports and those were great, but there's nothing quite like climbing. So. Yeah, there's so many reasons why I want to get back into it. Also, I spend more time with my boyfriend mm-hmm. outside when we're climbing because um, it's just so easy. You know, you just go out climbing for a day. Um, and so I miss mm-hmm. that. And then also traveling to climb. You know, once we're both vaccinated, Brian and I want to travel again to climb and visit places we couldn't, you know, like El Pachero Chico. I still haven't been there. I want to go there. So long list of reasons why to get back into climbing. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I, I it's it's yeah there's so many reasons but that's that's cool to kind of hear the similarities there and that's interesting that you said that like with covid it's kind of set everyone back you know depending on where you are you know in the country you know like i'm in texas so i've been able to start you know climbing again since last year but some people like you know just were able to get back in the gym like in the last month or so that they've you know started opening up mm-hmm. in other states um so yeah it's kind of interesting to see how people are like essentially having to start over and regain, you know, where they left off. But I always feel like 
it's it's not as a, a slow as a you know build as it was the first time. You kind of get back to a little bit faster. Yeah, it's like I've riding found, a bicycle since you kind of have like exactly yeah like you have the technique still. It's just like getting those muscles kind of back in in, in it shape. Feels and, so and, good being on the wall. It's like yeah, it's like your stretch. Yeah, like there are certain moves where like you know I was on slab climb and both my toes were pointed like the opposite directions and stuff, which like I guess is bad mm-hmm. technique, but whatever. But like it felt it felt amazing. Like my hips were opening up and I was like, you can't do that when you ski. You know, you can't can't point your skis like out towards your body. You definitely don't do that biking. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that climbing just makes me feel good doing. It's like yoga on the wall. <laughs> yeah, essentially that's what I've heard. Like um like it, it's it's interesting. Like I've I've talked to a couple other people about climbing and like initially how i viewed climbing before getting into it i thought it was a very you know masculine kind of macho sport dominated you know thing and the more that i've got into it and learned about it is i've heard people describe it as a very um actually like feminine sport like very like the way you move on the wall and the technique and everything is very well controlled and almost like a dance with yeah. the wall no i 100 so agree with that it's, yeah. yeah it's interesting to like go like from like complete 180 for me like how i see climbing and like what it takes to to climb well um and i was just so fortunate when i started to have you know experienced climbers kind of teaching me as i got started and what i should be doing and what i shouldn't be doing so i was really grateful for my friends to uh you know get me some coaching tips getting started so yeah that's it's interesting to 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 see it that way and to kind of have it transform. Yeah, it's definitely for me. a mix. I mean, I think that when you when you look at like the social aspect of climbing, it's definitely you know affluent, white, and pretty pretty male dominated. But when you look mm-hmm. at the actual athleticism and that and the activity, you're like, well, why is it like that? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, that kind of leads to my next like kind of topic I was wanting to to go to. So it's like. What are your thoughts on today's like climbing community slash culture? Um, and then I guess like a part two of that would be what do you think we can do to improve our community? Yeah, those are that's like I've ne- I haven't really talked a whole lot about that with people um, just because of COVID. Um, I haven't been able to talk with the people I usually talk to about stuff like this. But I mean, where to where to go with that question? I guess I see the climbing community as um kind of part of a part of the world is like the issues that we we're seeing in the world today are definitely reflected in the microcosm of the climbing world but i also hold a lot of hope in in the climbing industry in the climbing world because i think that the people that are drawn to climbing um are people that see those issues and and truthfully do want to fix them and they're just so so big that um everyone's trying to figure out how to fix them um and people are starting to fix them but we have such a long way to go in terms of like you know achieving the climbing utopia that i i think probably you and i see um yeah Mm -hmm. uh it's a hard hard question to kind of to answer because it I can talk about so many things, but also I just like don't really feel super. Um, I guess I, 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 
I want to educate myself as much as possible before talking like as like, I don't know, an authority on the subject. Because like as an LGBTQ mm -hmm. person, I have my own experiences within the climbing industry. But I also come from an affluent family. I'm a white male and I'm straight presenting. And so I haven't gotten much discrimination at all. You know, it checks out. Um, if I was different in, in any of those ways, then I think I would have had a totally different experience in the climbing industry. And so, you know, in the, in the past year, especially, I've been kind of taking more of a backseat role. Like I haven't been posting to Instagram all that much because I'm, I'm really just doing a lot of edu like educating myself and learning. Um, and so it's, it's complicated to answer that question because like there's so much that I see that needs to change. And I honestly don't know quite mm -hmm. how to change it. Um, I mean, like one thing that in the past month I've kind of been interested in, in is exploring um, the possibility of, of just like seeing what's out there in terms of queer climbing content. Um, and more specifically, uh, or I guess less specifically, um, I think it'd be kind of introducing, it'd be kind of in, uh, interesting to think about creating a, an LGBTQ outdoor film festival where Ooh. it's not anything big it just curates yeah. all of the films in the outdoor industry that have anything to do with the queer space because that doesn't exist right now and so yeah. after a long time of learning about it, a lot of different topics i'm just like well what can i do to kind of benefit other people and i'm like well i'm a filmmaker and i'm submitting to film festivals right now and there's kind of a film festival that doesn't exist um so yeah, mm -hmm. there's like, there's a lot to talk about with that question. I'm interested in your thoughts as well. I don't want it to just be about me. I no, I love that idea, like a queer, like outdoor, like kind of like climbing, like centric film festival sounds amazing to me. Um, like, yeah, sign me up for that. Wherever, wherever the, the <laughs> sign up is, I would currently love in that. my head. <laughs> um, yeah, currently in your head. Okay, perfect. Um, well, I'm glad, um, that, yeah, you kind of just like decided to share that with me. That's awesome. But no, I think going back to what you said, like, you know, not knowing really what to do, but I think what the other thing you said is you've just been educating yourself. Um, and as like a white trans woman, um, I think that's the same approach that I've been taking well as well as just trying to educate my, myself the best way that I can. Um, and, you know, kind of taking a step back um, and trying to help uplift other voices that you know haven't really been um been able to be heard so i think yeah what you're doing is like you know you know a step in the right direction and just like trying to educate ourselves and um continually um trying to uplift other voices and stuff so that's you know sounds like you're you're on the right path to me um, but I don't know. I'm just, you know, another white person, so I can't really say if that's 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 right or not. Um, but I try to, um, you know, remind, my, remind myself, like, even though I am a trans person, that I still have this white privilege that other, you know, trans folks don't have in a very marginalized community. Um, so, yeah, I just, yeah, it's, it's, it is difficult to talk about, but it's also one of those things that's, you know, those difficult conversations that are going to be the most important conversations Def that you have. Oh yeah, definitely. That, I, that yeah. I found. Um, so yeah, I definitely want to, um, you know, 
in the future circle back with you about this uh, kind of queer outdoor um, climbing foam festival idea. That sounds like a lot of fun. Definitely. <laughs> um, so yes, that's just gonna like just gonna bookmark that in my head. For well, later. I'm glad you responded um, positively, to, positively to it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited about it, and I also have yeah. like it's like such an such an idea in its infancy. I you know I'm still like trying to get freeze can be distributed and so yeah. It's like one thing I'm really looking forward to post COVID is like as I've mentioned I've been doing a lot of learning, but um, I, I feel like I've just been waiting until we can get back into actually talking with each other like outdoor uh, outdoors at a crag because there's so many mm. there's so many conversations and so many people i want to meet you know i have this list of people that i just want to go out and go climb with and just like talk with them and photograph them and just like understand their perspective on the climbing community and life in general and so yeah the next like year of my life is I've kind of dedicated it to not really making a whole lot of stuff, but more kind of like trying to just figure out and field um, my, like where my interests lie. Cause right now, if you look at my previous climbing documenting history, it's all been um, kind of the same stuff. Like people at the top of the industry doing tech or like very technical things like Alex Honnold free sewing El Cap, mm -hmm. Alex and Tommy, um, doing the speed record on the nose, like all that kind of thing and like a bunch of real rock films. And so I'm kind of like, I wouldn't say I'm burnt out on that stuff. That stuff still really interests me, but I'm also kind of willing to mm -hmm. continue doing that while also creating a lot of time and space to be able to pivot and be working on stuff that's a little bit more close to, to me. Um, cause I feel like I mm -hmm. have the opportunity as someone that's, you know, in this field as a queer person to, seek out those individuals and tell their stories. Um, and so I don't really have one person that I'm interested in doing that with, um, but I'm interested in getting to know people. And the way that I do that is not through Zoom or by like reading articles and books. It's like that stuff is all really good, but it, it, it's really, you know, when I go to Yosemite and I just boulder with people that, you know, previously weren't there. <laughs> Does that make sense at all? Yeah. Like, yeah no that does like i i love that approach like that sounds like the best way is just like getting out there and and the actual world and like actually climbing with them outside that's that yeah. sounds amazing it's like when, uh, the back, when i get vaccinated really it's like the cutting of the ribbon to like open it opening the doors mm -hmm. to all the things i've kind of been stewing in my mind yeah no that's that's great like and i feel like the reason like those films like you know it's like dealing with you know some of the higher you know, more professional level climbers, you know, which has generally been white men is because like that, those are produced because they have, you know, a following of people and networks and people can stand behind these, you know, it's, it's just like the Hollywood star system, essentially. Like they use actors to make these films because they know people will pay money to come and see them on the screen so in the climbing community, it's kind of the similar thing. They're going to use these, you know, professional climbers um, who are, you know, white men to just like, you know, sell the tickets basically. And so they see it as like a safe, you know, financial risk essentially to um, produce that content. But if it was about, you know, somebody else who was less known, they're not going to be as likely to actually, you know, invest, you know, their money and finance into such a project. Definitely. Um, Sorry, that's just like the business side and like my film head just went off when you said that. And it's just like, yeah, it's just like the similar type of system that goes on in Hollywood. So it all makes like, you know, 
it all comes down to, um, you know, the bottom line essentially still for filmmakers uh, and getting investments to, you know, make, you know, yeah. films. It's not a, it's not a affordable thing. I think thing people to do. are bored with films right now. Um, like if you think of Hollywood, people don't really like what Hollywood is producing. People like what Netflix is producing mm -hmm. and Hulu, you know, because they're, they've like fully pivoted and they're not telling the same old story over and over again, written by the same people featuring the same people. And I think we're seeing that reflected kind of everywhere. And right now climbing is going through that as well, where I don't think people really care that much about some of the top stars doing top stars, like doing things that they could never do. Like I personally do not, I can't insert myself into what Alex Honnold does as a climber. I think what he does is exceptionally interesting and cool. And it's really exciting to watch because he's pushing the limits of the sport and same with like Adam Andre and Tommy Caldwell. But at the same time, I'm like, well, that's like almost, that's like one type of story that you can tell. And it's very technical and it's very just like, kind of not, I don't want to say dry because I'm, I have a lot of respect for what people do at the, at the mm -hmm. upper end of our sport, but also there's, there's just of so course. many stories that exist within the climbing and, and the outdoor sphere that aren't being told because it's not, there's not like the technical appeal that people will mm -hmm. re respond to. And I think that's what you're talking about. Um, when you talk about the bottom line is like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if people are interested and if there's a huge market for just like random stories where the person happens to be a climber. I think that what mm -hmm. I'm interested in is finding people that are, are good at climbing kind of enough. And I don't know where that line is where like they're, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of elitism in there and I, I don't like that oh, aspect yeah. of like how, if I make a film about someone, I kind of want them to have some sort of technical ability within climbing. And that's something that I'm curious to, to work through and explore um, when meeting new people is like, does this matter? Cause I don't really think it matters to me, but like in the back of my head as a filmmaker that does need to make a living, I'm like trying to, trying to figure out exactly where the story meets the climbing. Does that make sense? Cause it is, mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately if you're going to yeah, make no, a climbing no. film, it has to feature some sort of climbing. Yes, exactly. I know exactly what you're saying. Like it's trying to you know, tell an interesting story that hasn't been told, but also find the balance of, you know, like a subject and stuff and trying mm -hmm. to find, you know, where's the right balance for climbing and, you know, what kind of person you're going after to tell the yeah. story about. So yeah, it's, it's a very like fine line and balance. So I can definitely understand trying to, um, uh, find a new approach yeah. essentially. So yeah, it's, it's finding it's a new approach, but it's also um, finding a new character that the climbing industry hasn't yeah. really seen before. Like someone who's like, there's, there's people that pop into my mind and I kind of don't want to, I don't like, um, I don't like pre-spraying <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. like I'm, no, I'm, that's, I'm, I totally I'm surprised understand by that. myself that I even mentioned the idea of the, of the queer outdoor film festival. Cause I'm like, I literally came up with that a month ago and haven't really spent any time on it, but you know, yeah. We're going to trademark that right here, right <laughs> yeah. now. So that was Samuel Crosley's idea for this, you know, queer outdoor climbing festival. So if anyone else does it, we know that they stole it. I mean, honestly, if you. someone else wants to do it, like, <laughs> I will help you do it. Like, <laughs> it's not, yeah. it's not something that, uh, 
I think that's probably why I ended up mentioning it because I'm like I don't take ownership of that. It's more just like I want this to happen. Gotcha. Let's make it happen. It doesn't. Yeah. I don't want it to be and about anything me. you can do. It's just I feel like I would be able gotcha. to make it happen because of where I lie in the yeah. industry. But anyways, back to uh, filmmaking. Yeah, there's like so many people that I I want to. I have like a list of people that are queer um, and out, or just um, just like not your traditional climber. Um, and I want to, mm -hmm. that's like what I was talking about with cutting the ribbon when I get vaccinated. It's just like, I want to go out into the world, meet these people, talk with them and kind of see who, um, I think would fit into making like a profile piece or something, or maybe multiple people mm -hmm. fit. And then I make a series of prof short profiles. Yeah. Ooh. That's kind of, that's the other Jeez, idea that I'm currently nice. pre-spraying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I love it. Cause it's, yeah, I kind of did a, a similar similar thing in the beginning of my transition. I um, started producing uh, my own web series, essentially, or just started shooting them, basically, where I've, like, filmed two different uh, trans folks. Um, and it's, like, all by myself, so, like, I'm still kind of, like, in the editing stage of uh, the first episode and, like, near completion, but I've just kind of been sitting on it now and just afraid to finish it to put it out there because i'm like what if all of this work you know was just really awful <laughs> and it just comes out to be you know it's interesting you really... say that because i feel the same uh, on almost every creative pursuit that i do where it's like where do you i mean it's almost like it's a protection mechanism as a creative person mm -hmm. you're working on something at least when i when i work on something i spend a lot of time on it and I input a lot of my own emotions into it and like kind of like make these mm -hmm. executive decisions based on how I feel. Um, and when you're getting ready to, to post, even if it's just posting a photo or like, you know, launching the film, um, I think it's a protection mechanism where you kind of don't want to finish it because you're scared of what people will think. Right. And so at some point you kind of just have to let let that go and trust that what you did is good enough because it never will feel like it's good enough to you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> At least it never does to me. That's, just, yeah. It's like you either run out of time or run out of money so true. working on something. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is like, it's all like just stuff that I've done by myself. So it's like, I don't have a producer or any deadlines to really hold me accountable is the problem. Um, I'll hold you accountable because like, I want to you know, see it. Really? <laughs> In the next month, okay. I, I want to watch it. How about that? Okay. <laughs> okay, that's, that sounds like I bet people like listening nice, would uh, also want to see Accountability partner. Too. Yeah, um, definitely. Okay, thank you. Um, that's Yeah, it's good to know that I'm not the only one who feels that way about some you know creative project, basically. And I've, I've talked about it before with some other people, and it's just like, yeah, it's just like I've kind of gotten down to the point where it's like, you know, it's this mechanism that I use to protect myself that like it's a fear of failure, essentially. And like one thing climbing has taught me is that failure is like the best learning tool, essentially, mm -hmm. by just getting on the wall and trying, you know, pushing myself on this route that I have never done before. Yeah, I'm going to fall like a lot. But I, I learned, you know, that one instance, I brought my foot up too high and then I didn't match my other foot and I reached and I wasn't able to stay on the wall because I didn't have the right footing. So I'm trying to translate that to like the more artistic side of like filmmaking and photography mm -hmm. as well. 
but it's just been challenging to take it across. And I guess it's because like in climbing, you're in the gym and you're surrounded by all these other people climbing as well. And they're, you know, doing the same thing you are. They're falling down and then getting back Mm -hmm. up on the wall. And I think the, the separation that I see is for um, like filmmaking photography. It's that editing, you know, step of isolation and you're by yourself. You don't see, you're not surrounded by other people, you know, in an editing bay doing, going through the same like emotions that you are. Like how cool would that be? (laughs) Um, uh, to just kind of see that. So I guess like, I just need to like work on surrounding myself with more creative people to, um, you know, kind of turn to for advice and opinions to see, you know, like, okay, is this, you know, am I on the right track here? Okay, perfect. This isn't working. I'll switch this around. It's hard yeah. to be creative without uh, validation. Yeah. That's a yeah. very good point. I think that's, um, that's one of the lines that kind of for me kind of defines the difference between creating content and creating like a film. Cause like, where is that line? Right. Cause so many people make things on their own and they're so good. Um, but there's definitely a line that you cross once you start collaborating with a lot of people. And so, um, mm-hmm. that's something that I've missed in COVID is the collaboration of creative people. Cause yeah. you just like, like what you're saying, like editing alone on a computer in a room, you just don't, have any perspective really um mm-hmm. and in the climbing gym you do like people people expect you to fall and then like when you're skiing and you're on the chairlift and you see someone fall you like give them a, a woohoo and a clap or something and then they they like woohoo back <laughs> you know it's just like it's a totally different so it's like failure is is uh, is celebrated amongst people but when you're alone in an editing mm-hmm. room um you kind of have to make mistakes in order. That's how creativity works for me. At least I try a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. and if it keeps on not working, yeah. then it's just like, Oh, how many times can I go get tea, you know, in a day before I just end up realizing like this, I'm just alone on this computer. <laughs> yeah. But the other, the other flip side yeah. of, of finishing a creative project is as you near the end, it becomes less creative at least for me, and it becomes more like refining it in a technical way so that it's palatable for the audience that you're targeting. And so it becomes mm-hmm. more, um, it just becomes more work and less fun as you, yeah. as you, you know, cause you have yeah. to, all of a sudden you have to go through all the color or all the audio and like that yeah. stuff can be fun, but it's also like, you only have two weeks to do it or something. And so it's just like back to back, you watch the film 18 times between the, the different yeah. revisions and it's like that's a lot of yep. work and you're yeah by, be... by the time that you've seen it at the end you've seen it like a thousand <laughs> times and you're watching it and you're like this no longer has any meaning to me like i've seen it so many times i am so far well, removed from it i have not, no way it's to not actually that it doesn't distinguish. have any meaning it's the meaning has become so minute you know it's like yes that's like that's in high school point. i worked on a lot of musicals each year there is a really high production value musical um and so I would mm-hmm. run the lights and the sound um, along with a bunch of other people. And so, well, actually, I didn't run the lights. I helped out with the lights. This guy named Lyle did the light. Anyways, rabbit hole. The point is I would run the sound and, you know, I would know every beat of music, every entrance, every line that anyone says because I need to pull up their microphone and then put it down. Um, and, like, there's this musical called Titanic and there are 32 microphones. Um and it was just crazy because people would switch microphones because there's like 60 speaking roles or something. And so like mm-hmm. I would know everything so intimately. And that's how it feels when you're at the end of a film is like everything 
has a different meaning. Um, and it's hard to feel proud, at least for me, mm -hmm. at the end of a creative project because I just see all the things that I wasn't able to correct or fix or something that I yeah. felt I could have done better or something that went wrong during production that I wish didn't. Um, that's kind mm -hmm. of where the meaning lies for me. And I think that's healthy because it then propels me to work on a next project and and do better, right? Yeah. And so that, that like when I that's... watch my film, I'm just like, I'm proud of it, but I'm also like, I can't wait to do better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so much well said. Well, way better said than what I was just saying. Yeah, like you just like summarized. I was using some bad language, some poor language choice there. Um, but yeah, it's exactly like you said like it's it's funny too because i grew up uh in the theater as well and that's where i got my start um for like creativity and everything and i um did lighting and everything else like you said so that's so funny <laughs> um so yeah you just like start on it and it's like this creative puzzle essentially and then as you're getting to the end of it it's like all about refining and fine tuning everything to get it as best as you can get it and then presenting it and i just realized now we're on a climbing podcast and we're talking about um filmmaking that's, so that's great that's just fine. because <laughs> as long as i feel like as long as it's interesting <laughs> and specific people can probably take something away from it and apply it to their own lives that's what i yeah. found uh, um, listening yes. to podcasts it's like people can talk about whatever and as long as it's as long as i hope we're doing a good enough job where people can relate think, in some way i think we will yeah um so yeah i guess uh you kind of mentioned this earlier, so you really haven't faced like any like hardships I have. Uh, inside of the community. But they, okay, they, yeah, they so just what pale are some... in comparison to like things that matter, you know? But yeah, I can I can speak a little bit to it. There's like there's really only literally in my in the ten years that I've been doing this, um, there's really only been two instances. One was like a very slight comment that just kind of stuck with me, and uh, what what happened was um, I was working with a photographer. And they were shooting um, a subject and I was looking at the subject's eyes because I was, I was holding a light and I was trying to get really good, um, a really good shadow on, on, from their nose. But I was also like looking at the catch light and the subject mm -hmm. kind of like made eye contact with me and then mentioned it. And then the photographer like was like, I, you know, honestly, I don't remember the comment. And this happens to me when, when, uh, I don't, I guess it, it's technically a dramatic experience. It doesn't like that seems very heavily for what this was, but like, I don't remember the specifics of a traumatic experience. I remember how I felt. And so mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly what the photographer said, but ultimately it was just like, um, it was because the subject was a male and they were shirtless that he thought that I was like, ogling the subject and i was just like no i understand i'm gay and this is a very good looking person but like i'm looking at the lighting and so i just remember that i didn't say anything but like it's just one of those comments where um yeah i wish i remembered what he, what they said but anyways that stuck with me where it's just like because i was gay yeah. they assumed that i was ogling somebody and i was just like no and so that was kind of annoying and that's like you know that's the second most discriminatory thing i've experienced which is like that is light duty <laughs> you know yeah but it's still like it's anything that can be traumatic for you is a traumatic thing and it's like i find myself doing the same thing a lot of the time as like you know making like comparing my trauma to somebody else's mm -hmm. oh that's like, interesting yeah just because 
like your traumatic experience wasn't as like if you're comparing it as hard as somebody else's like lessens the value but it still made you feel uncomfortable and like you remember the way that you felt and i think i have a lot of scenarios where i have similar things happen in my past and i don't remember the exact thing that they said but i know how i felt and it was i felt very uncomfortable or i felt very upset have someone assume something about me just because i am mm-hmm. trans so for people to just like make these backhanded comments because of your sexuality is just yeah it's it's very uh offensive and it can just like create a lot of just like emotions in you that make you uncomfortable and then it's um just takes you out of what you're doing yeah and it just it, kinda makes it just you made think, me feel like, different yeah yeah but um yeah i mean it was like a, I, I i don't think of it as dramatic i just think of it as like oh it's like a, a light reminder that you know i am different mm-hmm. but everyone's different you know everyone has some sort of traumatic yeah. experience like that um but um yeah i guess i wish i could think of a better way than traumatic because that seems to kind of play it up a bit too much for me but anyways yeah the, the other thing well it's yep. just like any time that it's been like brought up that you're you know queer or gay or whatever like it's like something is basically just like pointed in your direction and kind of like yeah just it's interesting i mean even today when some like when uh when i don't know the person rather well or even if i do when like the topic of me being gay comes up um i definitely get like a heightened state you know physiologically and i think it comes comes from the trauma of being in the closet, you know, cause I knew I was gay in fourth grade and I didn't come out until the end of junior year of high school. Um, so that's, that's 10 years of knowing something about myself, um, not understanding it, hating that mm-hmm. aspect of myself, wishing that I wasn't like that, finally experimenting with it. And then, at some point being okay enough to tell somebody and it's just like all those things are so like traumatic of course and so whenever the topic comes up that i'm gay um my body and my mind go into this kind of response where i'm just like oh i've got to field these questions and i've got to you know i've got to own it and kind of exude the person that i want to be and the person that i feel like i am but it's like very conflicted so anytime any of those things pop up um that state is triggered and so in this experience, it was like kind of negative. It was like that state was triggered and I was feeling bad about myself, even though I kind of shouldn't have. In the... But anyways, um, yeah, the other, the other experience was a little bit more direct homophobic. Um, and I was, hey, how do I tell the story? So I was, I was working on Freeze Can Be uh, with Mark and Jordan. Um, and they got, they're like amazing when it comes to my sexuality. Like I didn't feel judged at all. It was really cool working with them. Um, especially Mark, Mark was just like, (laughs) he's like a father figure in a way, you know, I spent so much time filming him and working with him and Jordan, but anyways, we were filming at Donner summit and, uh, Mark met this friend of his at the, in the parking lot. And they were like, kind of, you know, having, (laughs) I was going to say having a chin wag, they were chatting, um, and Jordan, you know, popped into the conversation because the, the, the older fellow knew Jordan. And I was, I was um, getting all of my camera gear out of the back of the car and I was tying my shoes. Um, and, oh, it's important to know that my laces are rainbow. 
like I have rainbow laces because that's that's the thing yeah. in the in the LGBTQ like athletic mm-hmm. yeah yeah swag. Sure. Um, it's especially popular I think in in Britain and in Europe in the in their football or their soccer um, people that want to support the LGBTQ athletes wear rainbow laces and it's kind of this it's this thing so I wear rainbow laces. Um, it's also a good way for people to know that I'm gay because people don't usually guess that I'm gay based on how I am. People expect gay people to be a mm-hmm. certain way, and I don't fit that for them. So the rainbow laces help there. So I'm sitting there tying my rainbow laces, and I meet this guy, and I'm like, oh, it's nice to meet you. Uh, and he's like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from San Francisco, uh, but now I live in my van full time. And literally the second thing he says to me in response to that after meeting me was like, oh, well, I hope you didn't come out of there gay. <laughs> I literally I wow. laugh at his face and I say, uh, I am gay. Look at my rainbow laces, dude. And he just fucking he can I swear on this podcast? He fucking yeah. he like he's fuck like want. this old fat white dude. And he just stop he like fully stops in his tracks, gets his tail behind his legs, does has no idea what to do in response to that. Cause like I said it with <laughs> such like you're a fucking idiot that he didn't know what to do and it felt amazing and uh Jor- jordan and mark just i look over at jordan and mark and they're kind of like trying to hold it together because they're like holy shit you just own this guy and then he just he just you know changes the subject and goes on doesn't apologize nothing um and then and then what wow. what's really kind of what made it a bigger experience was after the fact i learned that he was the like director of some board um and one of the like mark mark told me like one of the board members wanted to chat with me about this incident um and my thoughts about it and i was just and so i talked to like two board members about this and ultimately what ended up happening was some people left the board and i think he had to step down or step away from the board or something but that was kind of like another experience where i was just like okay so this thing happened but then also it led to like I I have to do the work emotionally to talk on the phone with these people about the situation. They have to make an informed decision based on it. So it's just like, oh my gosh, this is like has blown up out of proportion. But also it's like, it's for the right reasons where like people are like, okay, well, if this guy's like openly homophobic to climbers and he's in charge of a climbing board, he can't do that. And what sucks was his response. He's like, oh, I don't. You know, I don't necessarily, I remember he left me a voicemail because I didn't, I had no interest in talking with this guy because um, he showed his true colors <laughs> upon meeting me, you know, terrible first mm-hmm. impression. Um, yeah, it was like, it just reminded me of all the bullshit old, old boys club kind of stuff that like, still exists today. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, he left a voicemail. He's like, I don't quite remember, you know, saying anything, but if, if I did, I apologize. I'm not that type of person. I'm just like, you are so full of shit. <laughs> I cannot believe you. Like Mark, Jordan, and I were all there and recount the experience. And like, we know you said what you said and he d- didn't own up to it. Didn't apologize. It was just like a classic, you know, white, white guy response. Yeah. Typical, like, just, like cishet white guy who's just like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like homophobic. <laughs> I just like, make fun of gay people. Not, with yeah. Straight people. I just, I just, I just make fun of gay people. Like when I'm with the straight people, but if I'm around, if I'm around other queer people who are visibly queer, yeah. you know, and like really flamboyant, then I'm not going to like, That's I'm not going to say anything. That, like, I'll wait till I'm back in the, you know, 
my house with my my you know straight friends and then i'll make fun of them so no i'm not homophobic out loud Mm -hmm. to y'all that's just no like that's so annoying but i i'm so glad the way that you handled it though was just like just the best way that you could basically after like getting such a like awful question presented to you um and yeah but you said something right before you got into that about how you were triggered by the first instance to you know that feeling of being in the closet for 10 Mm -hmm. years and i think that's very it's very interesting because i think it happens with a lot of people who are queer that have been in the closet is that there is this like underlying shame that i felt about myself for so long that anytime i'm put in a situation that's stressful that like calls out on like me being trans or queer it's like you kind of revert back to that state basically and you feel this sense of fear or shame or whatever it is you felt while you were closeted um and it's just so interesting how like you just expressed the kind of a similar thing for you um and i'm just i'm curious because i know for me i grew up in very rural east texas um where it was you know not good to be anything but you know straight essentially um <laughs> yep. and i knew and i knew from a very young age that i was different and i didn't really know the word trans or transgender and what that was growing up i had no way of knowing what like who i was and how i identified because there was no no education about it like everyone um who was queer or trans or whatever was just um you know made to be this other thing that was very very bad and wrong yeah so i had this whole thing growing up until uh back in 2017 at the end of 2017 2018 when i was able to finally come out so for like 20 something years of having this you know mentality of i've had to to dismantle a lot of internalized transphobia and homophobia. Uh, and it's, it's not something I can ever, I think be finished with because it was for such a long portion of my life. Yeah, no, I, I definitely relate as well. I mean, the internalized homophobia, you're taught to hate yourself, you know, like people glorify yeah. everything that you're not. It was, uh, it wasn't super helpful for me because um what am i talking about uh i didn't have anyone that i felt was gay that i could relate to when i was growing up like my dad worked at an office in san francisco and um two people were gay and one of them was um very flamboyant and my dad would openly make fun of the flamboyant guy and my two older brothers would laugh along with it and i'm like i that's Mm -hmm. like somebody that i kind of see myself in um and i don't like that you know, it's something to be made fun of. Um, but then there's like other experiences where, you know, they accepted gay people. And so it was just like this weird kind of like gaslighting of like, you know, I feel like people accept gay people because they're supposed to. Um, like they don't want to be seen as bullies or homophobic, but then also like mm-hmm. we're the butt of jokes and stuff. And so um, it was interesting because I didn't have anyone that I felt like was me growing up um to look up to uh especially like in the outdoor or sport industry 
you know, I felt like if I wanted to do sports, I was supposed to go into ballet or something <laughs> like something. <laughs> and so it was interesting because like, um, I think it was in 2008, there's this diver named Matthew Mitchum and he's from Australia and he won a gold medal at the Olympics and he was the first openly gay person to do so. Um, and so I, I looked up to him. I was like, that guy is doing something really cool and he's open about it. Um, and he was just like, um, do you know Adam Rippon? Can't say that I do, but the name sounds maybe Yeah, familiar. it was just like the same sort of thing with Adam Rippon, who's a figure skater, who's just like very much just like, this is who I am. Um, I'm going to be myself and I will take you down if you make fun of me for like being who I am, you know? And just like, it's kind of, it's a cool thing to look up to. Um, and before then I hadn't really had that. And then, um, uh, another Olympic person, um, Tom Daly, he came out after the fact, after winning medals and stuff. And it's just like, it begged the question to me, it's like, well, why are people coming out so late? You know, like, why can't you just come out early, achieve your goals and be who you are? It seemed like that wasn't possible still. Mm -hmm. Uh, except for like a few people um and like if you apply that to today we're like we still have a little bit of internalized homophobia because when we grew up there wasn't anybody like us and we weren't supposed to be who we are if you apply that to today in the climbing industry there's still nobody that i feel i could look up to really in the climbing industry there are a few people that are definitely out at the top of you know like madeline sorkin and alex johnson um and like those people are super cool and I, I relate to their experiences, but also I, I feel like it's, it's like not enough for me. And I don't feel great saying that, but like, you know, there's no like openly gay dude that's like send, sending the yeah. nar. And I'm like, why doesn't that exist? Like that should, if you just look at the numbers in terms of like the population of how, like the percentage of LGBTQ people, why is it mm -hmm. so not represented in the upper end of climbing and i don't know the answers to those questions but they they sit there in my mind and like that's part of internalized homophobia that still exists in my mind today just like well why aren't people like me up there with people like them yeah now that's a really yeah that's a really good point so yeah you're right when you're saying that you, we're never <laughs> really done <laughs> it's like yeah we, I just want someone to look like me and be like me, but also not just me, all the other people that are underrepresented in climbing, you know, there's nobody that mm -hmm. represents them. And I'm just like, okay, that's annoying. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it is annoying. And it's a similar thing. I actually had a, I mean, not having like someone to look up to like on a professional level as like a trans woman who climbs, but like, like I said, I started climbing a little over two years ago. Um, and I've been climbing in the gyms basically here in Dallas at my gym summit. And I have met basically up until just, I would say, I think it was in February, end of February. So two years into climbing at the gym. And I finally met another trans woman climbing. Like I went two years and never met another trans girl yeah. climbing. Shouldn't and it was like, like I met lots of non-binary individuals and I met lots of other trans men uh, who climbed and like, May, have had some like, amazing friendships with other trans climbers but i finally um, met another trans woman climbing and it was just such a great experience to finally like see someone like me in the gym climbing um there's something so kind of 
freeing and like relaxing about it, I guess that I, um, was just really glad to like now have that person in the gym who's like me that I can climb Mm -hmm. with, you know? And, uh, yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, it seems like what you're describing is like, you don't have to go into that internalized homophobia, kind of like that psychological state where it's like, Oh, I'm talking about this with people who might not understand or might, I might feel judged by if you see someone like you and you can climb with them, that, that is why you feel relaxed. Right. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's interesting because I got invited to climb by some queer friends. They, they weren't trans, but they're still like really good queer friends of mine. It's like, that's the whole reason I got into climbing because, you know, they showed me that climbing was also a very Mm -hmm. queer sport um, and introduced me in that way. But yeah, still in the back of my head, I had that like, well, if it's a really queer sport, there haven't seen any other trans women climbing yet. And like, I've invited like the last couple of years, I've invited so many friends to come climbing with me. And I'm just trying to get that at least one person to be as excited <laughs> about it as I was that yeah. first time to like want to, you know, join the gym. So it's it's nice that I finally like found someone else like me that I could climb with um, more often. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I it's 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 good to know that there's other similarities like between us. And I've talked to a few other people about it. So that's that's good to know. Um, I mean, it's not good, but like it's. uh yeah, shows the um, similarities as human beings and what we go through as, you know, queer folks. Um, so I guess I have a couple more things, but kind of just going now to you, Sam, Samuel Crosley, as, you know, filmmaker, photographer. So what got you into, um, you know, filmmaking and photography? Sure. So I've, I kind of have always been into um, filmmaking and photography. Um, I, I think like in... In fourth grade, my dad got one of those, you know, big black DSLRs with the interchangeable lenses. And like, it was a digital camera, it wasn't a film camera. Um, and so this was like this really cool piece of equipment that was like, it just enticed me. And so I started using it and he taught me how to use it in manual mode, which um, was extremely frustrating. But now I thank him for that mm-hmm. because because I was shooting in manual, he was like, this is like a an expensive camera you're not going to use it in auto mode like why would you do you know i was like okay that makes sense yeah and so i learned how to use a camera in fourth grade um at the professional level like not taking professional images of course but i knew how it worked um and i really was intrigued by uh kind of like the trial and error of figuring out how it worked um i thought that was really cool and then also like once i got past all the technical stuff which i thought was interesting then i could kind of use it to create um, something that was already in my head. So like I'd see this beautiful flower and I'd, and I'd want to capture it in like this beautiful way. And so one of the first photos that I was proud of was just of this flower that had all of its petals and it was kind of perfect in the midst of a, you know, a green field. It was a purple flower in like a green field and there are other purple flowers, but they had petals missing. And so I just put it right in the center. Um, and I just remember that being a really cool photo and that, you know, I put it on my, my computer desktop. And so that was the start of photography for me. And then in junior high, I took photos and um, I, I, like, I would enter into photo contests and I would win. And so I got the validation that not only did I like it, but I was good at it. Um, at the same time, I was making stupid videos with friends, you know, as you do when you're bored <laughs> before the internet <laughs> as a kid. You're like, yeah. let's make an infomercial or something. And so I, I would do that. And then in <laughs> high school, we had this amazing video production program, four years worth. And so I did that. I also jumped into AP photography magically 
the last year there were supposed to be four, like three prerequisite classes um but i i submitted my portfolio and got into the ap class so i got to learn as much as i could about photography in, in the last year of high school at the same time i was working in musical theater which is all lights and sound and so mm-hmm. like these three different disciplines allowed me to kind of pick pick from one of them for for a professional course and so when i applied to schools for college i applied to film school um because i figured i could actually do that um and make a living and so then of course in film school i found climbing and if i'm a climber who's also a filmmaker and photographer you gotta shoot climbing it's like you know it's just yeah. like such an obvious thing to, sh- to do as a photographer you go to this be- these beautiful places that you hike to get to so mm-hmm. you feel like you're kind of experiencing something unique and then once you get on the wall you even feel more unique in terms of the perspective you're experiencing and so capturing these mm-hmm. these unique perspectives and beautiful places of of a climber which is doing you know someone doing something athletic also unique but also like kind of balaic and beautiful like there's a beauty to the movement mm-hmm. of climbing that i love to capture um, and so i was just drawn to shooting climbing after like you know getting into photo and and video for most of my life and so that's kind of how it brought me to where i am today um in in in, uh, college i found climbing and i would just photograph it and then that summer after freshman year i loved photographing climbing and i wanted to work on climbing films and so i i cold emailed cedar wright because i knew that he was planning a trip in california and i was in california so i was like i'm a film student i want to work for you for free i want to make your film with you please respond. <laughs> I don't know exactly how I wrote it, but it was pretty much that. And I, I like, I crafted this email after, like for a week and then he responded like in an hour after I sent it. <laughs> so I was like, Oh my gosh. And he responded like, yeah, let's jump on a call tomorrow. And so like I sent the email and the next day I was talking with Cedar Wright and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is unreal. Um, and so I pretty much, because I didn't have a summer internship, I created my own internship with Cedar Wright and he took me under his wing and he like fully just trusted me in many ways that I thought was really cool. Um, and we worked together to make Sufferfest one where I brought a little bit more of my filmmaking experience. Um, and we crafted this film and that did really well. And then the next summer he invited me to work on their, the next trip, which was Sufferfest two. Um, and that ended up being picked up by, I think, National Geographic picked it up somehow. I'm not sure exactly what that looked like because I wasn't involved in that kind of distribution. But because of that, I then the next summer got to work for Real Rock um, in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and so I shot Boys on the Bugs and I edited a bunch um, and I shot a bunch of interviews with people and I kind of learned how to make a climbing film. And then the next year I worked for them again, not in an internship role, but as a as a salaried position, which I realized um, didn't work for me. Um, at the same time, when I graduated college, um, I'd worked with Alex a whole bunch, and he called me to tell me that Jimmy Chin was going to call me. And I was like, <laughs> what? He's like, yeah, we got a project coming up. I recommended you, so just expect a call from Jimmy. I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm like, okay, holy shit, like Jimmy Chin. Holy, wow. Um, and this is like, like a month before graduating college. And oh I have this, God. this job lined up with Sender Films, um, that, I that I was stoked on, but also like kind of like, I'd never actually worked a full-time job, like nine to five at a desk. Mm-hmm. And I was worried that I wasn't going to work 
um, because everything else had been freelance up until then. But I really liked climbing. And so Jimmy called me and he's like, hey, Alex recommends you um, as a climbing uh, photographer and filmmaker. And I've got a project coming up with Alex that I'm looking for a photography assistant on. Um, Would you be willing to, you know, assist me? We're also looking for the film, someone to help shoot um, and also handle some of the the random production tasks like um, data wrangling. And so... Mm-hmm. I signed on to what was, you know, Free Solo, which at the time was Untitled Free Solo Project or something like that. Uh, and so that was amazing. <laughs> but but the catch yeah. is that I had to start working with Jimmy before I graduated. Um, and so I talked to my professors and they were all like, of course, like just do all of your work um, beforehand. And then one professor is like, you probably are all the other professors are asking you to do do your work beforehand. So why don't you just do the work for my class afterwards? Um, Because it was like a, it was a month long shoot in Yosemite. Um, So that was nice. So I did a bunch of work to graduate essentially early and then did um, one class's worth of follow-up work. Um, So yeah, that was, that was how I got on to free solo was, you know, working in the industry and knowing Alex and Alex recommended me because Alex, I think, you know, played a huge role in, in the the crew selection of that film because we were going to be working with him so intimately. Um, He needed to trust Mm -hmm. the people. And so I already had that mutual trust with him. We knew how to work together. I had shot him soloing before, not on El Cap, but you know, Um, (laughs) and so that's kind of the whole back end of, you know, everything before free solo. Wow. That's crazy. You did all that before you got out of college, before you graduated. That's what just blew my mind. I didn't realize like the timeline of it. Yeah. (laughs) I liked, I liked it. So I just kept on doing it. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. Like that's so crazy. And it's funny. You told, you were telling me about the email and stuff uh, that you sent to his name again. Cedar Wright. Yeah. Like I had a very similar feeling to what you just described whenever I was like typing up this, you know, email to you essentially (laughs) to reach out to you (laughs) about just being on this podcast. So that's just like so funny because it was like, yeah, I sent you an email and you got back to me like within an hour, I think. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like he actually like responded to me. Um, So yeah, I'm just drawing parallels (laughs) now in my head and just like, this is so funny. It's exciting. (laughs) It is very exciting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad um, you reached out to me. It was very easy to respond. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I'm I'm glad. Um, so yeah, I just want to try to like start bringing it in by just going through some other things. So like, what are you know some recent projects that you've worked on? Um, I'm used to yeah, free as can be. Um, what was what was that like? Yeah, free as can be was um. So I mean, like when I graduated college, I essentially saw the next four years as like I wanted to continue to learn and work with other people and just kind of be a sponge. Um, but at the same time, if the opportunity arised, I'd want to kind of like take an opportunity if it if it did. And so before before free as can be, which is my second film, I made a film called Far Away, which is for the American Alpine Club. They wanted a commercial. <laughs> actually, for their Live Your Dream grant. I was like, everybody hates commercials. Like, no one wants that. And so I pitched them on just, like, creating enough funding to send me out on um, one of the Live Your Dream grant tees, like one of their trips. And I would just document one of the grantees' trips and make a film about it, and then they could use that film to promote the Live Your Dream grant. 
Um, and so that was the first film I directed. It was far away and it documented Cat Whipple and Jenny Lemon Pie. <laughs> I actually don't know Jenny's last name. Jen oh, no, I do. Jenny Fisher. Um, and they went to China um, to do Off With First Ascents in a place called Liming. Um, so it's this really cool opportunity to go to China and document these two female climbers doing Off With climbing, which I thought was really fun. Um, so we made a film and my friend and filmmaking partner, Mary Jeans, uh, we edited it. And so she kind of made that film kind of what it is. Um, like I shoot a lot of footage and I have a story in my mind and then I bring it to Mary and we work together to make that story come to life. And so that was the first film. And then Free As Can Be came up because I worked with Jordan um, on Free Solo. He was, uh, I was getting shots of El Cap. I was getting background plates for 3D textures mm -hmm. for like the animations. So they needed the wall. And so I took, um, I took Jimmy's like, <laughs> humongous medium format camera up um across the wall the wall from el cap is middle cathedral and so um jordan and i climbed middle cathedral about halfway up and then i shot with a medium format camera a bunch of photos of el cap to then stitch together into one mega photograph so they could mm -hmm. use that as the background plate um so that's how i met jordan and he was like really good at climbing and he was also like really uh motivated to keep climbing um and so we just kept on running into each other in the same places um, and we became friends. And then he ended up meeting this guy named Mark Houdon. Um, and so when he met Mark, I photographed him and Mark climbing together. And then when I learned that they wanted to climb uh, routes on El Capitan, um, I was like, this is kind of an opportunity to make a film because I think that you guys are both really cool mm. characters. The dynamic of your partnership is really fun and interesting and cute. And... Um, also, you have like these goals in El Capitan. Um, and so I pitched it um, with Ted Hesser to Arcteryx and we got funding. And then um, we ended up filming in Yosemite and then uh, various other places I shot beforehand, like in like Tahoe. And that's kind of how Free As Can Be came about. Um, and then we edited it, of course, and made a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's and that, awesome. That took a long wow. time to edit. Just, yeah, anytime you're doing documentary, it's like there's so much footage. It's, a, it's like three um, different stories whenever I make a documentary. There's the story you think you're going to get. Mm -hmm. There's the story yep. you end up getting when you film it. And then there's the story yeah. you end up creating a bit in post. Where it's just like you use exactly. what you can and then you use the magic of post. <laughs> yes. The magic yeah. of editing. Yeah. I was very very fortunate um to like right out of college like the first kind of like gig that i got i got to assist on this um documentary um following two plastic surgeons uh from dallas area to peru to like you know the middle of the andes mountains to go operate on kids with like cleft palates cleft mm -hmm. lips um so i was you know 18 or not 18 it was 20 like 21 fresh out of college um, and the filmmaker reached out to me cause I PA'd on his film the summer before, um, and seeing if I was interested to assist for him. I was like, yeah, this sounds amazing. Um, so I was very fortunate to like have that opportunity to go to Peru straight out of college and see how other people in the world, you know, not in a first, uh, um, 
first class like nation, you know, like living. Uh, and just, it was a very humbling experience. It made me very grateful for what I had back home and just also kind of opened up how people can live more like simple, more simplistic, uh, simplistic than mm-hmm. in the U S. Um, so it was very eye opening, amazing experience. And I actually like, <laughs> it was funny because like I was hired to help assist. And then like after like a year of like going back doing other like freelance gigs, you know, trying to make it out of college in a smaller market as Dallas, um, the filmmaker, uh, started contracting with me more and I started editing for him. And then I actually started like putting together, uh, like organizing <laughs> all of that footage from the shoot and then trying to put together a rough cut for him mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like you said, you have the idea of what you wanted to shoot and then what you shot and then in the edit. So yeah, documentaries are so um, daunting just on this, on the, on the post site because there's so much yeah. footage that you have to choose. There's a lot from. of footage to watch through, but there's also, once you watch it, you kind of can like discount it. Um, mm-hmm. and you, like, as I watch a bunch of footage, you, you take away the key moments and write them down and kind of pull them, pull them up exactly. in the sequence. And so it is a lot yeah. of footage, but Get your as selects. long as you got a good workflow, <laughs> but yeah, it's all about yeah, tra- traveling to Definitely third world post. countries and just any other country in general, just, I feel like makes life easier because you realize mm-hmm. how, um, different life can be elsewhere. And so you just tend to you know, shift your focus and your priorities on things that you realize matter more and less on things mm-hmm. that don't. And so I love, I love working in other countries, just other areas, even within the United States, there's a lot of stuff that you be exposed to that you didn't expect. Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Whenever thing, once I can get my vaccine and be able to start traveling more for work would be awesome. Um, so, uh, yeah, last kind of thing is like, what's been like the most rewarding Scheme. like project, project for you? <laughs> okay, no, wait, what's what's like? Yeah, what's like the most like we can do two things? Yeah, like what's like the most rewarding thing for you recently? It yeah, like skiing was probably the most most rewarding for sure, just because it was like an activity. I mean, like part of it is that it was an expensive thing to get into. Like, a, I got a, a season pass, which was like seven hundred and fifty bucks, and so I try to ski as often as I can. Um, but it's just such a, it's such a nice thing. Cause I, I, what happens is, um, if I go with someone, we both get tested, um, and then we can drive up into the mountains together. Um, and you spend a whole day with one other person or two other people. And it's, um, it's nice. Cause you, I love the flow state of, of skiing, you know, either turns or just being in the trees or, you know, hiking somewhere and then getting what they call fresh pow. <laughs> uh, and then. <laughs> Just like being able to sit on a chairlift and talk with people is really nice. And so moving to Boulder um, because of COVID, a uh, little background there. My boyfriend lived in New York and I lived in essentially the Bay Area because that's where my family's based. And so when I wasn't working and I wasn't having like fun traveling or something, I would kind of, you know, visit my family there and stay at my mom's house in her driveway for a bit and then go off to my next destination. So we both met here in Colorado to kind of form a life here. And so skiing is kind of like this, this, uh, this really fun activity that hasn't quite replaced climbing, but if you haven't tried skiing, I highly recommend it. Very fun. Yeah. No, I did it once when I was a kid. Like my dad took my brothers and I to Colorado. Um, and my brothers like were like all about snowboarding. So like 
our cousin came with us because she knew how to snowboard and she was essentially going to train us how to do it. And I, you know, rented the gear or whatever. And she was taking us up on the bunny slope, trying to teach us how to like turn and stop and everything. And I just remember the first time I went down the bunny slope, I didn't know how to stop. I didn't <laughs> oh, know how to God. turn. I was, all I could do was just go straight. And I was just, ke- I kept on going. And essentially I saw the snow about to run out and like go into a parking lot <laughs> So I just like completely, (laughs) yeah, I just fell (laughs) to stop myself and just like basically uh, just like ate it really hard. Um, And like, yeah, it just like basically my knee was a little sore after that. So I just kind of sat out the Mm -hmm. rest of the day and um, decided to switch to skis the next day. And I could ski a lot better than I could snowboard. Um, And yeah, actually, I love skiing. It was so much fun, like such a great activity to do as a kid that I haven't had the ability or like anyone really inviting me to go skiing or anything so like that sounds like a fun yeah nice fun like pastime something to enjoy doing and spending it kind of gives me the same like kind of social aspect that i get mm-hmm. from climbing which i'm surprised i actually haven't brought up this whole time is like i haven't talked about how amazing climbing is for its social mm-hmm. reasons whereas like every other sport that i've you know i wasn't really a big sports person but all the other sports basically growing up there was never like, any social interaction yeah. in it but with climbing, there's this nice kind of social interaction that you get because when you're not on the wall, you're just like sitting there talking about climbing or talking about life. And it sounds like it's a very similar thing for skiing where you're able to like have, you know, really good conversations yeah, with people. Definitely. So that's, that, that definitely makes me want to like get back out there and yeah, try also skiing s- one day or whatever. The other thing about skiing is just like, you're in such a beautiful place. Like sometimes I'll go skiing with Mary, the, the editor um, that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Mary and I, sometimes we'll just like go in the trees and then we'll just stop. And we'll we'll just sit down and look up and talk. And we're just like in the middle of like a mountain and it's snowing and like it's just such a beautiful, unique place to be able to access. Um and so it's nice mm-hmm. to take that all in. The other thing is uh, my boyfriend Brian started skiing. And so it's been really fun to <laughs> to both teach him, have other people teach him and see him improve and like see, mm-hmm. you know, someone progress through the different like exciting aspects of skiing. Like learning how to stop and finally being comfortable and then pushing like going to blue runs and then learning how to go like actually turn and like slow down as you turn and just like seeing all that is really fun and like now he's at the point where he can ski black diamonds in the trees and stuff and i'm just like this is amazing like he, he learns so fast and now i get to hang out with him and, and wow you know, we can't really climb all that much in the winter because it's really cold here um people do it yeah. but that's kind of gnarly <laughs> and the gyms are, yeah. are off limits so yeah skiing was skiing was my kind of my project um the other thing that i haven't really touched on at all was after freeze can be which released in august um i immediately started working on something called crux academy which is basically master class for the outdoors um and that was really fun because i worked with this guy named jeremy jensen who is part of Outwild. Um, are you familiar with Outwild? Sonny McCandless and Courtney. I can't say oh, okay. that I am. So out- no, but I definitely yeah, want to look so, into it now. I mean, you can just look it up, Outwild. Um, super cool. But uh, Jeremy's from Outwild, and he kind of got that up and running. And so now he's he, he has this new baby um, called Crocs Academy. And so I got to work on like four episodes, or not episodes, four lessons. Um and mm-hmm. that was super fun. And I got to pitch one of the uh, the lessons that I thought people would be into. And that was with Len Nessifer, who teaches public lands and indigenous topics. And so that was like, it was oh, amazing because wow. I was making money doing something 
that I, and I got to learn about something in the process. And yeah. I feel like it felt really rewarding and everyone liked the course and like, it was just like a, it's really fun. There's other courses too, um, like backcountry mm-hmm. skiing and yeah. stuff. So check it, check out Crux Academy. Gotta do a sh- shameless okay. plug. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm sure, I know, I'm sure like everything else that we've mentioned so far, I will go through and make sure that these links oh, cool. get nice. posted yeah. in the episode whenever this right gets on. released. Um, so yes, no shameless plugs, <laughs> all, all necessary plugs, in my For opinion. Sure. And it's, um, it's better than the other Academy. There's another Academy out in the outdoor industry and <laughs> I've watched some of the lessons and the people that teach them are really cool. But I think that with, with a uh, Crocs Academy, there's a lot more, there's a lot more to the lessons that you'll get more out of. Um, so yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then like, I guess kind of like, cause this question kind of turned into two questions, but what, what were you passionate about? Like what's the most like rewarding, like, I guess, experience you've had in your work as a filmmaker and photographer hmm. slash what was the most rewarding and what's been like the hardest thing for you to do? Um, I mean, I think the, like, I think it's just free solo as a whole was definitely the most mm-hmm. hard and also most rewarding. Um, like when we were in Morocco, Morocco is like, a snippet of the film it's like i think it's like two minutes mm-hmm. or something they like they use it to essentially introduce tommy caldwell um i think there's other reasons why it's there yeah. but it, we spent three weeks filming and like we were we were essentially <laughs> filming like six out of seven days um yep and it was like big mountains the reason why alex went to morocco is because it's the same latitude as yosemite um and it's like huge walls that are about the same size as yosemite and so what's really neat about it is its season in morocco comes just before the yosemite season and so it's an amazing training ground for alex um it's also an amazing playground for us as filmmakers but it's also essentially like learning how to shoot in yosemite again only in in a in a different place that has like not a lot Mm -hmm. of amenities um and so I was, while we were in Morocco, I was the data wrangler. I was a PA. I was a camera person. I was Jimmy's photo assistant. So I I was like constantly wearing so many hats that my head was constantly sweating. Um, I I was like the first person to wake up um, because I had to prep like all the camera cards into people's cameras and stuff. And um, I was just like, if I, I felt like if I wasn't available for people, I wasn't doing my job. That's kind of what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was also the last one to go to bed because I was the data wrangler, which means, yeah, I, you know, we're I shooting know on feeling. cinema cameras. It's, it's, <laughs> There's a lot of data. What, yeah. What, I'm curious. The camera nerd in me has to ask what cameras. Y'all shot um, most of the cameras were C300 Mark IIs made by Canon. Okay. Um, and they're rolling in, you know, in 4K in, in like all the good settings. So a lot of data. Um, and mm-hmm. then Claire Popkin. Yeah, giant files. Claire Popkin was essentially the Verite DP of Free Solo. And he was shooting on uh, an Alexa um, Mini. And so his, his camera mm-hmm. files were even bigger than the C300 Mark II. Um, yeah. it, was, it was not rare for him to shoot a terabyte a day. Um, and mm-hmm. the thing about working on free solo in Morocco is everyone's in their cameras, camera positions and um, there's not like a, a camera cart, you know, on top of the mountain. And so, <laughs> yeah, you can't just have a cart on top of the mountain and you're not just like plugged <laughs> yeah, into so a Yeah, so what happens when like Jimmy's like shoot... chilling in your chair. Yeah, yeah. I'm not just chilling and like taking people's cards as they exhaust them. No, what happens yeah, is like Jimmy also is shooting 
Mikey is shooting, Shane shooting, Clara's shooting, I'm shooting, and then we all go back to the the the, um, the village, and I take everyone's cards at the same time, and all of a sudden I have to get them all dumped onto a hard drive system, mm-hmm. and then I get to go to bed. And so it was it was not rare yeah. for me to go to bed at like two a.m. and then wake up at six. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, what's really sucked about that uh, wasn't necessarily like the long hours and the workload and like it was really hot. It was really sunny. I mean, a classic just big mountain days, too. You know, you can't discount the like having to hike 3000 feet. Um, And like they also did a link up, which meant that we were like filming for 24 hours through the night or something. It was it was terrible. Um, But the other thing is I got terribly sick. I got food poisoning and like. I was trying to do my job to the best of my ability while like feeling the worst I ever had. Like the, the worst I ever had. Like I don't really get hurt. I haven't broken any bones or anything and I don't really get sick, but I got really sick. And I think it's because I ate a tomato or something. But um, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> and so luckily, like after like two or three days of just feeling like a piece of shit that was not functional, but I still had to be, Jimmy, Jimmy pulled out a stop and he was like, hey, like, like I got this thing. It's called a Z Pack. It's like for me, but like I'm gonna give it to you because you need it. But no, but like <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, like Jimmy Chin, like is so much more important in this production than I am. And like if if he gives me his Z Pack and I get better, and then if he gets sick and he can't get better, we're in trouble. That's bad. And so that was like, then I was yeah. like, I was so. Willing to take the Z pack because I felt so bad, <laughs> but at the same yeah for four the, days like yeah, that's a at long the same time. time I felt like poisoning. I was like I made a mistake, you know, for getting sick or something. So it was like it was emotion- emotionally hard that, to be on uh, on that film because the expectations were so high, and uh, yeah. I was wearing so many hats, you know. And I was also I just came out of film school, like I had a lot of experience for someone my age, but at the same time, like it's a, that's lot, a lot of, of stuff to do. PA assistant yeah that sounds like nowhere close to like anything you were like on that caliber but i did like a uh a film like a small indie film with like one of my old film professors Mm -hmm. from school and it was just like he was directing it and he had the whole thing kind of storyboard on like index cards with just like story bites you know and um he had a dp and then two sound people and then i was like super pa essentially where i was acing and doing pa things and then um just like everything else that we needed to do, making runs or whatever else. And then, you know, media managing as well and dumping all the footage and everything else, wearing all those yeah. hats. Um, Very so, typical. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but on a such such smaller scale than y'all are on, though. So it's just like, yeah, I have the, I know what it feels to like be wearing multiple hats and trying to make sure you're available for everyone. Yeah. yeah. But it's also when you do that stuff, it's stressful, it's hard work, but also on the flip side, it's so rewarding, you know, and then it leads to opportunities. And, you know, I was like, because I had worked on the film and and tried so hard to be the best, you know, helper that I could. um, Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. right before uh, we were supposed to film another season in Yosemite, um, Mikey Schaefer, the climbing DP of Free Solo, essentially, um, he... I think he was skiing and did something with his ankle or something um pretty mm-hmm. much he he instead of being on the wall he then had to run the long lens which is normally what i was doing you know being on the 50 to a thousand and so we we swapped mm-hmm. and then i 
was trusted enough to shoot the actual free solo climb on the wall. Um, I had shot on the wall before in the project, um, but they're like pretty small positions. And so I was one of the three people to shoot Alex on the mm-hmm. wall. And that's like, of that's the one of the most rewarding things ever, <laughs> you know, like I documented history yeah, um, and I felt like I had fun and did a good job doing it. So like, what's more rewarding than that? Of course, yeah. then there's the flip side of like, okay, I've peaked, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, then it's just like, yeah, what can I do now? Like, what what's going to, like, make me feel as accomplished mm-hmm. as I did here? Like, working yeah. towards something. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's really cool. I didn't realize the the scope of that and everything else, like, you being right out of finishing school. So that's it's amazing. And also curious, because I was also a fellow film student. What film school did you I went to, to San Francisco State University. Very, very proud okay. of that school. Yeah. Nice. They're they're cool because uh, they're like the most diverse cinema school in existence. I think they're like one of the top diverse schools in general, and then within cinema, okay. they're the most diverse. I was super psyched to go there because I didn't want to go to L.A. Um, so yeah. living in San Francisco was amazing. Yeah, good stuff. They have so many That's good awesome. programs. Also, so the professors are so good too. It's like a public university, you know, a state university. It's a lot of a lot of good stuff came from there. Very, very happy. Perfect. All right. And I guess I'll, uh, I'll let you, uh, is there anything else that I haven't really asked about or talked about that you wanted to uh, kind of talk on before mm, we close things not out? Not really. I've kind of had to use the restroom for about an hour now. So. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I don't think there is anything yeah. else. Um, I, like, I, like, I like meditating, trying to think if anything pops up. Yeah, no, I, we, covered, we covered so okay. much. I mean, we could, I could continue yeah. talking with you all day, but <laughs> so. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. God, I, I want to let, let you go to the bathroom <laughs> there for sure and get back to your life. And uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much again, Sam, for, for joining me and having this conversation with me. I've really enjoyed it. And I hope that maybe one day we get to climb together. That Definitely. would be amazing. Yeah, we should make that happen um, post, post-vaccine. <laughs> yes, post-vaccine. Yeah, thanks for yes, reaching out that and idea. You know, writing that email and allowing me to respond. I feel honored to be able to, you know, be a part of this small group of climbers that can talk about stuff like this. Nice. Amazing. Yeah. I'm really grateful too. Well, thank you so much, Sam. I really appreciate it. And it's been an absolute pleasure to get to uh, pick your brain about all the things that I wanted to, to know about. Sure. So okay. it's been really great. Uh, and yeah, I look forward to um, chatting in the future. Indeed. Sometime. Yeah, talk soon. Bye, Alexa. Bye. and that's it for today's episode thank you so much for listening i am so uh excited to be uh, sharing these episodes with you all finally and if you know something that Sam and I talked about uh, on today's episode resonated with you, please, please, please uh, pause pause the episode right now uh, and be sure to go leave a comment on the platform that you're listening to us on. 
uh, that does so much uh, for us and the podcast to grow and reach more people. And that's what we really want this podcast to do is to be able to help reach out to any queer climbers out there who don't feel like they're being seen or they're being heard that there's like no one else like them in their community because i know in places in the u.s there are there's a queer climber who doesn't feel like there's people like them and that's who this is for so please like i said leave a comment go like follow subscribe on the socials uh for sins and suffers and yeah uh, feel free to follow uh mario myself or sam all of our social handles will be in the description below along with sam's website or anything else that we mentioned uh in the show today and yeah have a great rest of your day and thanks for listening Structural audio.